Hello, Jordan. What's up, Michael? Welcome to the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast. The online trainer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you? It really sort of is the online trainer podcast because we don't really talk about in-person stuff or brick and mortar. We talk about in-person, but not brick and mortar. I would say 25% of the questions and Q&As in the mentorship recently have been client-specific questions, a yeah, lot of true. which relate to in-person coaching. That's true. That's Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's so hard to build, I'll phrase it this way. It's much easier to build an online personal training business if you have in-person coaching experience. Facts. I yeah. think it's even easier to build an online personal training business than an in-person one. Yeah. Just period. I think it is way easier to build an online personal training business than an in-person personal training business. Correct. The whole world can be your client instead of just the people who live in a 15-mile radius of you. Yep. Yep. I was, you know, I was talking to Dave Tate about that and, um, he told me a really a great story. I won't tell the whole story, but he was telling me a story basic because of the story about how, how you and I actually got connected because of the story about how you left a comment on my website on an article that no one ever read or any of that stuff, except for you in 2012, uh, cause it was posture based. Oh, now you're fixing your posture. <laughs> well, no, you gotta, you gotta take Doing breaks that. from sitting the double yeah. meal. Single meal, <laughs> other side, single meal. Um, I'm telling you. We were talking about how you just never know who's looking at your content. And Dave was like one of the earliest people to ever make content. And like Dave was, uh, Dave Tate was making training logs before anyone was doing training logs. Like he, he was posting his training logs on the elite FTS websites and these forums back in the day, like when no one was doing that. This is like the late nineties, early two thousands where he's like posting his workouts. And the only reason that he would make YouTube videos is not because he looked at YouTube as a platform for its own content, but because he could then embed those videos into his website articles, into his training logs. It was not trying to grow YouTube. It was like, that was just a place to store his videos. Mm. Um, and he was telling an amazing story about how basically you just never know who's reading your content or who's looking at it. And one of his, uh, his, his first ever quote unquote online coaching client, which actually, this is really funny because you and I laugh. Uh, we saw someone recently say like, they were one of the first people to be an online coach in 2014, mm -hmm. which is just hilarious because he's in the 90s and he was doing online coaching. Mm -hmm. But um, he said that in th this online coaching, he didn't do anything. He would just get on the phone with this guy once a week. And like, it wasn't a video call. It wasn't, he wasn't even sending him an email with programs. You just get on the phone with him and tell him what to do on the phone. That's awesome. And that was his like online coaching. And, um, and that he didn't know anything about this guy. He didn't know anything about in terms of like his, like how, how wealthy he was or any of that. Just like, he was a cool guy. And this is Dave's first ever online coaching client who he got from posting his training logs on the lead FTS forums. And, um, this guy, he lived in Boston and he, one day he asked Dave if, if Dave would do a seminar for him. And, and Dave was like, yeah, usually I get this amount, um, plus like X amount per head. Like here's flat rate plus X amount per head of people that, that come. And the guy was like, nah, I don't want to do that. How about you just tell me a flat rate? And Dave was like, okay, like five grand, whatever it is. And the guy's like, okay, awesome. Done. So flies Dave out to Boston. Dave goes there and then they drive him to a huge office building, a massive skyscraper office building. And and Dave was like, what are we doing here? And this guy's like, this is this guy's like, this is my building. And Dave was like, oh, you work here? He's like, no, I own the building. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go up to the top floor of this, of like the penthouse suite. And it's this guy who is the CEO of the company and owns the building and apparently owns multiple buildings and four other people. That was just like, and a couple of his, his like CFO and a couple other people. And, and that was it. That was who he was giving this seminar for. And so Dave was like, holy shit, what, what is going on here? He did this whole seminar and, um, basically it was, it was an amazing client, a really nice guy, all of that. Um, and Dave was like, you just never know who you're talking to, which is like going back to online training. You just, you never know what piece of content is, is going to go nuts and going to get you an amazing client or a number of clients. You never know who's seeing your content, who's looking at your stuff. Um, 
And I've heard a story like this. I've experienced a story like this. I, I see this all the time. You just, the, the thing that most people, especially coaches don't realize is I think most coaches think that they need to come up with the perfect piece of content when the reality is you just need to come up with content over and over and over and over and over again. And oftentimes it's that process of coming up with content, the vast majority of which is probably shitty that will lead you to write or create one piece of content that actually hits the right person at the right time in the right place that reaches out that will change your life forever. I thought it was a really good story. That is a great story. That's definitely YouTube SEO clip worthy too of like, Oh yeah. Dave Tate. Oh yeah. Let's go. <laughs> like something Clip that yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, stories, see what I just did there. Tell a fucking story, mm -hmm. get you in there. Stories mm -hmm. are everything. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. There's uh, you know, you don't, you don't build a great physique by infrequently doing perfect reps. You build the great physique by getting in there day in, day out and performing rep after rep, set after set, you know, slowly and painfully increasing your weights over time. Similarly with making content, like most content isn't going to do anything crazy, but you're going to get better at it through the process. You're going to have, I mean, more shots on goal, more goals you score, period. Like make them as good of shots as you possibly can, but keep shooting the puck over and over and over again. And uh, over time, good things will happen. And, and that doesn't mean that everyone is guaranteed to make a $10 million business. That's not what that means. And there's a survivorship bias to these stories of like, you know, Elon Musk just like worked and worked and worked and worked and worked 18 hours a day every single day. And eventually he made it or pick anyone like that. There are also people who did that and worked and worked and worked on a crazy idea and ignored society and put in the reps and ended up like not at the pinnacle of everything. And that's okay too. But you're, you're, I can say with certainty that you'll end up in a better spot if you shoot pucks on goal consistently for five plus years straight uh, compared to if you sit and think about doing that or overanalyze or suffer from perfectionism and, and never actually get started. Clips Nation. Right there. That'd be a great YouTube clip too. Mm. Elon Musk be how to how to <laughs> survive real clickbaity. <laughs> I don't think that's clickbaity at all. I think I think it's smart to uh even if like every title doesn't need to be educational, yeah. right? It doesn't need to be how to make more of this, how to make this content, how to help this type of client, like a lot of stuff that I click on on YouTube are stories that also have lessons inside of them. Man, preaching. The other thing, just to add on to what you're saying about Elon, how he worked 18 hours a day for so long, da da da, da. Um, Something that, that I think jujitsu has taught me is that there's really levels to, I see you're trying not to laugh because I'm bringing up <laughs> jujitsu, but like there's levels to this and there's nothing has taught, like I've always known it and I think we all know it on some level, but like jujitsu, like seeing it played out, it's like there are, in jujitsu, there's a phrase, there are black belts and then there are black belts. And it's, it's that you could take two people who spent the exact same amount of time training. We could, let's use, um, let's use a basketball example, LeBron versus anyone else in the NBA like someone who's not nearly as good. Maybe they literally spent the exact same time amount of training basketball. Maybe the other person actually spent more time training basketball than LeBron did. But LeBron's just fucking better because he's better because he's just born that way. Like he, he there's levels to this. Some people are just naturally better. And um, for example, you take that, the Elon example, and maybe he, you worked the exact same amount of hours as him, but he has a much bigger business okay, that's fine. But like, there's, there's levels to this and you might not be the literal best in the world at it, but that's okay. It doesn't mean you can't be still super successful and have great work-life balance and all of that. But, um, the, I think something jujitsu has helped me come to terms with this. It's helped me come to terms with that. There's levels in different areas of life. And some people are just going to be better than you. Even if you've trained more, even if you've worked harder or any of it, it's like, there are some people who are just straight up better than you and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's just a fact. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to work or in your example that you shouldn't continue to roll and to train mm -hmm. jujitsu because what matters more than you versus that person is you versus you a year ago, is you versus you three years ago, is you versus you five to 10 years ago, 
and continuing to improve against your former self rather than against someone who is smarter, more suited for that specific skill, like whatever, has the natural talent, God-given, blessed to have a higher ceiling than you have. Just because that person exists doesn't mean that you can't experience great success on your own. And, and that's why like a degree of comparison makes sense, but that's why basing your entire uh, belief about your own success only on comparing yourself to other people is a fool's errand. Yeah. Yep. There's also something interesting here about, and it doesn't work in the NBA example because everyone who makes the NBA is like really everyone, good. they're all elite. They're all yeah. like the best of the best of the best. But we like, you could work really hard at making content for 10 years and someone else could work really hard at making content for 10 years and they could have 5 million YouTube subscribers and just be absolutely crushing and on top of it, even though let's, mm -hmm. let's pretend you put in the same amount of effort and mm -hmm. you might have, you know, 8,800 YouTube subscribers compared to their 5 million or whatever I just said. Maybe instead of putting all that time and effort into YouTube, because you aren't that well-spoken, because you don't love being on camera, because you don't have as much passion for it. Maybe you're an unbelievable writer and maybe maybe that was a, an avenue that would have better suited you. And I think, I think trying various forms of content creation makes sense. You don't know if you're good at something until you have a certain number of reps at it, or I shouldn't say good. You don't know if you have a natural inclination to be great at something until you have a certain number of reps at it. Um, but definitely be open to the possibility that you know w you're better suited for one area than another and maybe you even enjoy that more and then putting more of your eggs in that basket will lead to disproportionate returns mm -hmm. and and going to the basketball example i think we, we still can use it i i don't know any basketball players but i would imagine that like let's everyone in the nba is elite right but i would imagine that there are people who didn't make the nba who are equally elite Right. There are people who were, for whatever reason, maybe like a certain team needed a certain position or a number of teams needed a certain position player and they didn't need that player. And so the, the draft went by or whatever it is, they just never picked that player just because they didn't need that position filled. And so, but then like four seasons later, they did need that position filled and then they were no longer as elite as they once were or they didn't have the connections that they needed, whatever it is. You literally might have been just as elite or even better, but you didn't get in the NBA because of what was needed at that time. And so like it, it also comes back to like life isn't always fair, right? Life isn't always fair there. And, and, but what does that opportunity give you? You know, maybe now you have an opportunity to like start your own business, like a, a, a helping youth with their basketball or starting a business in terms of like looking at people's like basketball technique or their programming or whatever it is. And like, there are so many things that can happen, but also understanding like there are levels to it in terms of genetic skill. And also sometimes things are going to happen just because things fucking happen and life isn't fair and, and getting mad about it and being upset that there isn't, isn't equity among every single thing in life is just like, it's a really bad way to live. Like it's just, and, and it's not going to do anything for you or any of the people that you could help. So, well, can't believe I'm about to open this can, but I'm going just to get your perspective. I don't have a strong opinion on this. However, George. Bullshit. You've definitely got a strong <laughs> opinion on this. <laughs> All right. Should we get into the real stuff? I, I thought we were literally just about to, you're about to say something. No, but we teased the, the how to increase client engagement. Oh, but I thought you were about to say something else pretty incendiary. I was. I was. I was. I mean, we're only 14 minutes in. We could say something. I was going to ask you if you think we should legislate. Like life isn't fair, but I mean, we could make it fair through no, government you can't. intervention. You can never make it fair. Sure. You know, you can't. Maximal government intervention into all areas of life. We could create a perfectly fair society. I know you're just saying that, but you can't. Why not? It's impossible. Why? Because it's inherently not fair based on the government mandating it. That isn't fair. The government would make it fair, though. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how communism has destroyed millions of lives. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, it's inherently I'm not, not fair. I'm just not based smart, on the balance of power. I'm not smart enough to play devil's advocate well, and I don't want to straw man that position. 
I still think I still think with maximal government intervention they could make life fair for everybody. How? <laughs> well, give me an example. You're the one who brought it up. I don't know. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> I disagree completely. You, so I'm very you, interested you, to hear the example. You, hang on, hang on. You said life is unfair. Give me one way that it's unfair. Two people who are equally skilled in basketball. One gets in the NBA. One doesn't get in the NBA because one person, their position was open and the other person, the position had already been filled. I can't wait to hear this. Well, how are we measuring their skill? How do we know they were equally skilled? No clue. One person gets in the NBA, one person doesn't get in the NBA. Everybody should be allowed to play in the NBA. <laughs> so how do you do that? We mandate that the NBA accept everybody. That's communism. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. <laughs> and anyone who's like, no, it's not. It's like, study communism. Like, yes, it is. <laughs> Obviously, I, I don't actually think that. Mike is an enemy of the state. <laughs> <laughs> Biggs asks, would love a How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast episode on maintaining online client engagement. You want to take this one from the start? I think you're good at setting these up, ESTP, so I'm going to let you. I just want to make it more fair, so how about you, you start? How about we say everything at the same time to make it ultimately <laughs> <laughs> So we have equal speaking Words time. Words per podcast. A I agree. That'll be a great listening experience to have two hosts talking at the exact same time. <laughs> um, so the question is how to increase client engagement. Uh-huh. For online coaching clients. And you want me to set this up? Well, no, but you can just answer. But in your answer, you generally do a good job of framing the question. It's a compliment. I, honestly, now I'm nervous because I don't really know what that means. But oh, so, well, just talk. Just be normal. Okay. Okay. Um, how to increase client engagement? The the what my mind immediately comes to is how do you increase the frequency of your clients? Or I'm sorry, how do you decrease the frequency of clients ghosting you? Is a very simple way to put it. Right. So like, or, or getting your clients to interact with you more, maybe they're not sending you as many updates as you would like, or they're not sending you technique videos, or they're not sending you their food logs or any of that stuff, or they're not like, what any of that stuff, how do you increase the frequency of doing that and decrease the frequency of people ghosting you and not doing that? So mm -hmm. that's like the, the framing I think that, that you were looking for. I think that's right. I think we're, we're asking that question and we're also asking about I assume that that's a big piece of it and that adherence to the program is another big piece of it. Yeah. So engage, engaging with you as the coach and engaging with, you know, following the nutrition plan and doing the workouts. Yeah. So I'll first start, let's talk about engaging with you, the coach, because I think this tends to be the biggest struggle that coaches have. Not, not for the reason that I think a lot of coaches think in their head. I think in their head, the coach thinks that it's because they want the person to do well, like the, the client to do well. But in reality, it's an insecurity of the coach because the coach is thinking that they're not a good coach, mm -hmm. right? So yes, obviously you want the client to do well, but a lot of times you want more engagement as a way of the client letting you know that, oh, you're doing your job as a coach, like you're a good coach. Like every time they do email you and when you do have a client who does engage with you, it's 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 uh, another it's another indicator for you that like, okay, good. I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a good job. I'm a good coach, which I get it. I understand that, but it's also important to be aware of that potential insecurity, which I think we all have in some way, shape or form. Um, from this point, it's very important to understand that you will never have a 100% engagement rate. There will always be some percentage of clients who ghost you. There will always be some percentage of clients who, who, rarely fill out their updates. There will always be some percentage of clients who never send you their food logs or rarely send you their food logs. Um, there will always be some percentage of clients who lie to you. Uh, and keeping in mind that it's not malicious lies, it's it's usually embarrassment lies and, and feelings of guilt lies and all of that. So it's important that you have to, when you have a discussion around it 
and you confront them over it, that it's not coming from a, you're not trying to be malicious or you're not trying to guilt or shame them. You have to be very open and understand they're lying because they're embarrassed usually. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes when someone is ghosting you, they're ghosting you because they're embarrassed. And when they're not sending you their food logs, they're not sending their food logs because they're embarrassed. So it's funny, a lot of coaches get worried like, oh my God, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job. That's why they're ghosting me. Maybe they're upset. It's like, honestly, if the money is still going through every month, like it's not that you're not doing your job. It's that they feel embarrassed and they still want the accountability, but they feel bad because they haven't been following it. If someone doesn't want their money going through and you're not doing a good job, you'll fucking know. <laughs> they, they will usually make it very clear. Like, I want my money back. Like, I'm doing a refund. Like, I'm going to quit. Like, the, like the, if that ever happens, which should be incredibly rare if it does, mm -hmm. and ideally it's coming from a deranged individual, to use Mike's word, then like it's a uh, that will happen super rarely, and usually from someone that you're like, all right, I really don't want to be working with this person anyway. Um, so the number one tip, and I really just don't like that word anymore because what tips do you have? Uh, but anyway. Number one tip is set set the expectation from the very beginning, whether you get on the phone with them or it's all via email, anything before the coaching process starts, you need to clearly outline, this is what I expect from you. And, and I would have a PDF in which before we even agreed to work together, I would say, here's what I expect from you as my client. And I would say, I expect to hear from you this frequently with this much in your emails and, and these types of pictures and, and all of this and, and these form videos. This is what I expect from you. And I also had a section on what you can expect from me, a reply in this period of time um, and blah, 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 blah. So like all of that, I would have, I made that very clear from the outset, but that wasn't enough. There is still like a more lack of engagement than I wanted, which I was never able to achieve everything that I wanted because the only engagement that like, I would just want a hundred percent engagement rate, but that just, it it's not possible. So from there, the next most important thing you can do after setting expectations is making sure that you are never guilting or shaming them. And that it's always coming from a place of, of, I don't ever want you to feel embarrassed. Mm -hmm. it, the, I think about it, how my mom spoke to me as a kid. Like my mom would tell me, I don't care what happens. I don't care what you do. I will always love you. And she could, she would say things like, listen, there might be times where I'm upset and, and I'm mad at you, but no matter what, I always love you. And you can always come to me with anything. And that made it me feel more comfortable where in a situation where I might not have wanted to tell her, and maybe I would have lied to her, or maybe I would have just not said anything that made me feel more comfortable going to her over something. And you don't have to tell your clients like, I'll love you, sweetie. I think it'd be a little bit creepy. You don't have to say that, but you should say, listen, I am first and foremost, your coach. And as your coach, I don't ever want you to feel embarrassed or guilty or shameful over, over doing something. I want you to always feel comfortable telling me if you go off track for a day or a week or a month, if you miss your workouts, if you are shitty with your nutrition, I'm not going to say I don't care because that would make me a bad coach. Like, obviously I care, but what I care more about than anything is, is your mental and emotional and physical health. And I can't help with any of that if you're not being honest with me and communicating with me. So no matter what, please just tell me, cause that's how I can help you. If you just stop communicating with me, I won't be able to help you. So that should also be a, a real conversation that you have at the very beginning and also remind them throughout the coaching process. And then the next one is, well, now how do you actually deal with it when someone does ghost you or when someone isn't being communicative? This is where I think sending a voice memo or, or sending an email or whatever it is or getting on the phone with them and, and having that conversation again over and over and over again, reminding them that you're not you're not uh, upset with them or you're not uh, disappointed in them. Like this is part of the process and you're actually, you, you're grateful when they do feel comfortable enough to come and tell you, which is the other one is if someone does tell you something difficult, you should go over the top to reinforce that positive behavior and be like, listen, first and foremost, before we dive into the issues here, I want to say thank you so much for feeling comfortable with me to tell me this because many clients wouldn't have told me this. And maybe you in the past, depending on your relationship with them, maybe you might not have told me this before, but because you've done this now, this is actually making our relationship stronger and it's giving me better insight into how I can help you. So thank you for that. So really go over the top with those behaviors. Um, and 
as the last thing I'll say here is this is also why if you, let's say you have a client who is, you know, just they're saying they're doing every, everything right, but, or let's say even take that part out, but let's say you have a client who you see them on Instagram and they're out partying and, and drinking and eating pizza and burgers and fries and all that stuff. You should not be commenting on that. Like you should not be going in there and be like, oh, okay. So I guess like, uh, this is, so this is a hundred percent consistent. Oh, da, da, da. like, don't do that. In fact, like I would often, like, I, I don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching as anymore as of right now, but if I did, I would probably, I, I would follow my clients, but I would probably mute them. So I didn't see their stories hmm. because if they see that you're in their stories, then they are going to be very cautious with what they post in there because they don't want you to see it. So I probably, I would follow them because I think it's the right thing to do and, and to let them know that you're there and support them. I don't think you should be playing the game of like, I don't follow people back. Like who the fuck are you, you schmuck? But I would probably mute them. So I wasn't even tempted to look at their stories unless I see that they tagged me in something and then I can just go into my messages and see what they tagged me in. But I, I would not go in their stories just because it's probably a, probably going to make them more self-conscious. And if they post a picture of a, f a piece of food that they eat, maybe they have a burger and fries, I wouldn't just like it because sometimes just liking it might, they might think that it's your way of saying like, I see you, I see that you did this. But what you could do is you could be like, oh my God, that looks so good. Please tell me where this is so I can go get one. Something like that is a much more supportive piece of, of, of a conversation or a supportive comment that doesn't make them feel guilty about it. So it won't prevent them from posting it later on. Great answer. That was a lot. That was really good. I know it wasn't fair to you though, because I just probably gave every fucking answer possible. Life's not fair, Jordan. <laughs> we should make it fair. You know what? On that subject, because that actually popped into my head while we were doing this, I actually am a fan of fairness. I just think that it's better to, and of course, you can't achieve you can't achieve true fairness across all of life. But rather than federally legislated fairness, it makes more sense for the decisions of individuals. To, to like basically treat people fairly. Like it coming from a moral individual choice rather than government legislation. And, and, may, and maybe this is me being idealistic and maybe this isn't achievable because it's not in line with human nature. I don't know. And I'm open to that like counterpoint. But that seems like the better way to achieve not maximally, not perfect fairness because that doesn't exist, but a more fair society or system. I think what we're talking about is the difference between equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome or equity versus equality, which is, it's the same thing. People can, people often think equity equals equality and it's not. Equality is, is equality of opportunity, which, which that's Which fairness. we have, which we have, which we West, have that already in the United States. Yes. We have equal opportunity. There are no laws legislating like any individual person based on their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, any of that. Like there are no laws that prevent someone or any, from- Or any of the other infinite- I like that we mentioned those three in society, but there's infinite ways to categorize humans. Correct. Like those are yep. the three that we like to focus on. Those are the main ones. They're not even the main ones. They're the three that, that the powers that be have chosen to focus on. Correct. But yeah, yeah. But like, so that's equality in terms of having freedoms and, and the equality of opportunity- but equity being a quality of outcome, that isn't fairness for anybody. And so I, I would, a, a simple example would be if you're the coach of a youth basketball team and you've got, well, you know, we'll say you're the coach of a, of a high school basketball team, not like a six-year-old basketball team, but a high school, a high school basketball team that is, is, a, is more competitive by nature. You have two kids. One is just a better player, better teammate, better like uh, overall for the for the team's goal of winning. You're going to play that kid. You're going to start that kid, and you're going to bench the kid who's not as good, just because the goal is to win, not to be fair. They were given equal opportunity to prove themselves as as the better player. They were both given equal opportunity in the tryouts. During practices, they're both given equal opportunity to show up and all of that stuff, but one of them is better. So the better one's going to get to play. You should treat them both fairly and kindly, and you should, you shouldn't uh, favor one in terms of like how you speak to them. You should like everything from the perspective of being a nice person and treating them fairly in, in that sense should be always equal, but the outcome that's, that should not be equal for everybody. I completely agree. I think that's a great example. I'll give another example. 
right now there are there's an equal opportunity for both men and women to be bricklayers. Mm-hmm. There's an equal opportunity for both men and women to be garbage men. Mm-hmm. There's an equal opportunity for both men and women to be plumbers. Mm-hmm. But 90 plus percent, and bricklayers is like 99%, but 90 plus percent of each of those three fields are men, not women. And so equity would mean instituting a policy where we have 50% male bricklayers and 50% female bricklayers. Mm-hmm. Same with garbage, just like same with each of those positions. Um, nurses are something like, I don't know off the top of my head, 80 plus female. Yeah. Kinder, kindergarten teachers yep. is like 90, 90 something percent female. Mm-hmm. There, are, there is an equal opportunity under law for men and women to be nurses. There's an equal Correct. opportunity for both men and women to be kindergarten teachers. Equity or equality of outcome that you mentioned would mean legislating that half of our kindergarten teachers, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but equity would mean legislating half of our kindergarten teachers are men and half are women. Half of our nurses are men, half of them are women. That's the difference between those two terms that have gotten convoluted uh, over the last five years in seven years in popular culture and probably more than that for people who are really paying attention. And I think a lot of the reason that it's become convoluted is because political pundits have been using them incorrectly and conflating them. (laughs) And and people have been watching and being like, oh, well, it sounds the same, so it must be the same. And then I don't think any logical person would be like, yeah, we should always have 50% 50 SWAT team members should be men and 50% should be women, 50% nurses. Army Rangers, Navy SEALs. Yeah, it's like, uh, there's, I don't think any logical individual would say that at all. There should absolutely be equal opportunity for men and women to join elite combat forces, but there should not be a change in the Standard. standards, right? Like if, if you're, if you need to, if a man needs to run a certain mile time in order to be qualified to become an elite combat specialist in whatever it is, then the woman should be required to run that same time because it's not just her life at risk, but the life of her her coworkers or her colleagues or her teammates, whatever you want to call it, who are also putting their lives at risk, not to mention the lives that they're trying to save on the job. So equal opportunity for everyone, regardless of race, gender, religion, all that stuff for sure, but not changing the standards just to not for the changing the standards for the sake of equity. People might be wondering, why are you having this conversation on the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast? I I think that we have a moral obligation to, because I know so many people who have this same thought process and this makes sense to them logically, but for many reasons are afraid to voice it, not mm. even on the internet, but to friends and family or at work, like fear of getting fired, fear of being an outcast. I think it's really important to because of what is happening to the loudest people having these conversations and making these points. um, I think that all of us who may have benefited from learning from those people and the, and the like literal or the, the figurative or literal persecution that these individuals have gone through or are going through, I feel a moral obligation to say something, even if it pisses some people off and even if it isn't the sexiest and even if it hurts our bottom line a little bit, I think it's the right thing to do. And so that's why yeah. that's why I think these conversations, interspersing them into how to maintain or increase online client engagement is important. I also think I'm glad that you explained that because it's important. It's also, it's not like a, it's simply saying what you believe is very, very important, especially in a world in which a lot of people want to want to remove your ability to work and to provide for your family just based on having potentially different beliefs. Mm. And so being able to just state what you believe unapologetically is, I think, a very good practice, which by the way, not just a good practice for you mentally and emotionally, and by you, I mean like for for you listening and for me and for Mike and all that, but um it's also it's also a really good strategy for business as well. Just to be honest, like 
being open and honest with what you believe. Uh, I've, I've seen a bunch of people who not only are not open and honest with, the, with what they believe, but they express different beliefs than what they truly believe out of a fear of being seen a certain way or being canceled or whatever. So then their audience becomes a group of people who actually disagrees with what they truly believe because they were expressing different beliefs. So then that audience found them and now they feel like they've dug themselves into a deeper hole mm-hmm. because they can't actually express what they truly believe. And then you're living which in makes, prison. Yeah. You're in a prison. You don't, you're, you're scared. You feel like you're going to lo- hurt your business if you express what you believe. So then you end up feeling burned out. Whereas if you just express what you believe, the people who don't like you and don't like what you believe will not follow you and they will not hire you. But the people who do agree with you and who do see eye to eye with you or who maybe they don't even agree or see eye to eye, but at least they're open to you having a different opinion and they don't take it personally and they don't get upset about it and they don't want to tear you down. Those are the people that you're going to want to work with. And that's how you're going to end up loving your business and loving what you do because you can be honest about it. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I, I wanted to push back on it being better for business. I completely agree with creating your own prison. Completely. I think the one area where it, it might be better for business, or at least not her business, but it definitely is more painful in the short term, is for people who are not as disagreeable. Uh, the The conversations and negative feedback and pushback are going to be more difficult. Mm -hmm. And neither of us, like we're both on the disagreeable side of 50%. So of the population, Um, you know, we're not Ari Gold, right? Like neither of us enjoy firing, like literally enjoy firing people, but we're also not on the other side of like, you know, highly agreeable, but that is one difficult component. Doesn't make it uh wrong but something to consider what are your thoughts on client engagement <laughs> i love it i love the way <laughs> that was gold this is a fun episode um i mean you covered Thanks for it. listening we'll talk yeah. to you later <laughs> <laughs> you covered it so extensively no, no 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 that wasn't that wasn't where i was going uh so you hit on a lot of what i would have hit on um you know what? I'm going to hit um so I'm going to very quickly reiterate a couple points that I liked that you made. Uh if I can remember them. N- not not shaming and creating like an open dialogue and making sure that your client feels as comfortable as possible admitting fault. It's very very important. Um setting expectations up front with your client, very very important. Uh, following up, you know, openly, openly and non-judgmentally when you're, you know, when you haven't heard from someone in a substantial amount of time, all great strategies and ideas and should be implemented. Maybe I'll make a couple points related to uh, engagement with the program rather than engagement with you, which, which there's overlap, right? But you also have clients who aren't the best at filling out their updates, don't want to be doing daily emails, but like are getting in the gym consistently, are doing solid on nutrition, are making progress over time. Uh, And two things that foster that environment maximally, and they both kind of fall under good program design are don't get your client hurt. And program both nutrition and training for your client's actual goals. And and these are two things that we'll start with don't get hurt. Like if we're talking about engaging with a workout program, if if you are not requesting technique videos, if you are programming exercise selection that is beyond the skill level of your client for whatever reason, laziness, maybe you're sending out cut paste programs like completely whatever it is, uh you programming in a way that leads to your client getting hurt is obviously by definition going to negatively is, is they're not going to be able to adhere to the program. They're not going to be engaged with the program because they're out for six weeks, eight weeks with a hamstring strain or whatever happens. Um, programming 
for clients' goals, the biggest mistake here that we see is a coach programming a client for the type of progress you want that client to make rather than the type of progress that they stated they want to make. I'll give you an example. Onboarded a guy just last week who uh, told me he's done like, I don't remember all the exact programs, but a bunch of the main barbell you know, strength, powerlifting based programs and told me like, Hey, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to become healthier. I, I want to enjoy my workouts. I don't really care about setting PRs on like big three moves, military press, all of these exercises. Um, and, and so I didn't eliminate barbells completely from his program, but it's like, okay, well then we're not going to be making the the focus of the program around getting stronger and setting PRs on big three, even though there might've been a different time, especially if I were more into that personally myself at the time where that would have been my default. Like, Hey, I know you don't want this, but man, when people are setting PRs, they're making good progress. They're off. You can lose fat and continue to get strong for like this much time. I think based on where you're at now, like I don't really want this, but we're doing a barbell based program. Sound good. Cool. Here you go. Don't do that. That's going to mm-hmm. decrease engagement with the program. Uh, and that's just one ex- one of like the many examples around um, designing a training and nutrition program about around what your client actually wants to achieve rather than around what you want them to achieve. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to keep going on this topic because I think there's a lot of things here that take you from a good coach. A good coach writes good programs and has good communication back and forth and they does a good they do a good job i was about to say they does a good job they do a good job overall they're, they're not they're just a good coach they're educated and all that a great coach goes above and beyond and what i mean by that is for example i am in a way gonna about to call myself a great coach which i i don't mean to do but like um one thing I used to do that got a really good response from people is when i would like put hidden notes in their program so for example um even some, if let's say I did Bulgarian split squats, put Bulgarian split squats in the program. I would, if I had an, if they, if I needed a note, like maybe like technique wise, like, I don't know, drive through your heels or squeeze your butt cheeks, whatever it is. Sometimes I would just add a note and be like, ha, like suck it. Something like that. <laughs> just like something simple like that, just to make them laugh. Um, or I would give them a nickname. So the top of their program would have their name and it would be like, uh, it would be, you know, instead of just saying Mike Vacanti, um, this month program would be like, um, Mike, the king of equity, Vacanti, whatever it is. And I would use a very recent interaction that we had to, that would allow me to put something, put like a, a nickname in there. Maybe if it was like, if I knew they got a dog or like they love their dog, I would put like, um, their dog's name instead of their name in the, in the title of the, of the program, S- very simple things like that, that will show up almost when they're not expecting it. They're not expecting it because when they, they expect things when they open the email, but when they're going through the program, they get to the gym, who knows, maybe they have a tired day, whatever it is. And they just see like their dog's name, or they see like something funny that their kid did, or, or they see you say like, ha ha ha, suck it, whatever it is. Like they'll laugh. And then They'll just send you an email like, oh, that made me laugh. Like, thank you so much. I really needed that today. Or like, I love your programs. I look forward to your notes every week or every month, whatever it is. Like, they'll look forward to that stuff. And they'll literally be excited to see what you come up with. Now, the downside of that is then you have to come up with new shit every month that isn't even program related, which can be a little bit difficult and extra time. But that's part of, I think, going above and beyond as a coach is, especially if it increases engagement. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So that, that I think is something super helpful. The other thing is, and this goes more to the points that you were making, like if they don't like something, don't do it is I used to put notes next to all of my clients so that when it was time to write their new program, I knew what they liked. I knew what they didn't like. I knew what equipment they had access to. And it was all like right there. I didn't have to dig around in my computer. It was like, here's like, all right, here's Mike king of equity vacanti and i know that like he absolutely fucking hates front squats but like he loves doing um he loves doing hammer curls so i'll even though they're completely different muscle groups and whatever but like i will have those notes in there so that i know on lower body day i'm not giving him front squats because if mike sees front squats he's going to tell me to fuck off or whatever it is but if he sees hammer curls he's going to be like yes all right let's go i'm going to do this workout so maybe like i'll, I'll give him uh, some type of a squat variation at the beginning, but I'll put 
uh, hammer curls at the end that will get him excited enough to go to the gym and do the workout. So it's little things like this that will remind you and help you to, to increase communication and engagement and actually make your clients excited and also not feel just like another number, but also know like, oh, like they, he knows me or she knows me and they get me and they're here for me. That's, that's really, really good advice. I'm a huge fan of everything you just said. Thank you, bro. Uh, this prop, this is such a minority, like small percentage issue that I don't even know if it needs to be mentioned, but that is perfect. If you have a list of 26 exercises that someone says that they hate and they really want to do, and there's a list of seven exercises that are like not very good movements for their goals, like then there might need to be a conversation in terms of giving the client what they want. Um, because we all run into a client like that eventually. (laughs) Yep. I hate front squats and back squats and goblet squats and split squats. I don't like lunges. I don't like single single leg work. I really don't like using dumbbells in general. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This happens. Yeah. The the worst is when someone like, I don't like front squats or back squats or zercher squats or lunges, forward lunges, reverse lunges, Bulgarian split squats, leg extensions, leg press. I don't like any of those, but I really want to grow my quads. Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, why don't you like them? Well, they're hard. They're just, I just yeah. don't. It's not like, oh, well, they cause an issue with this injury that I'm, you know, getting checked out at the moment. Yeah. But for 98% of clients, what Jordan just said, having those notes about likes and dislikes, programming around likes and dislikes, making personalized comments to them, uh, these things are going to massively improve client engagement, especially over the long haul. Yep. A lot of clients are going to engage with a program a month in, two months in, but to maintain that uh, you know, degree of psychological stimulus, increased customization definitely helps. If I was doing one-on-one coaching now, one thing that I might do in my client intake form like once they've agreed to sign on and, and they've paid and we're ready to get going, I might say, I might have a section in there, in there saying, tell me which exercises you absolutely hate and never want to do. Give me up to five at most and tell me which exercises you love and want to do very frequently. Give me up to five at most. Mm. And that way, like you have their top five most favorite and top five least favorite so that you know, like I'm never, if someone's I'm like, I hate barbell hip thrust, that would be like probably my top one. Like I would put barbell hip thrust on there. And, and so my coach would hopefully know Mike is my coach. Mike knows never give me barbell hip thrust. Cause when, when, when Paul Carter was writing my programs and he would put barbell hip thrust in there, I just wouldn't do it. I'm like, I know what to do. Like I would find something else that would be equally beneficial, but I just wouldn't do it. I'm like, I'm not taking the fucking time to set up a 405 pound hip thrust. It's just like, it's really annoying. It takes a lot of time. It's super uncomfortable and I fucking hate it. What's the real reason you don't like hip thrust? Let's get to the Dude, bottom of this why. right now. That, it Dead, it deadlifts, takes so much time. Deadlifts take the same time. <laughs> That's why I don't deadlift a lot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Touche. Touche. It's the same. Like I'm not pulling 500 anymore. Like, at most I'll do like 365 and like I'm good. <laughs> Jordan spent too many years racking and unracking so many plates. Every yes. human being has a certain number of plates they can rack and unrack on a barbell <laughs> over a lifespan. And Jordan reached his by the age of like his late 20s and is like, no more. Dude, I, I really think that you're right. You know, it's like that with the whole 10,000 hour rule, like you have 10,000 hours to become an expert. And some people get those 10,000 hours in more quickly because they spend more time. And some people it takes a longer period of time. It's like, it's the 10,000 plate rule. Like I've, I hit my 10,000 plates in a very short period of time. And I just hate, and, and it, it is also uncomfortable. It's just, I don't like, even if I have the fucking pad, which I don't like using the pad. I feel like a pussy. The, the mic's not like, I just don't like putting the pad on there. I just don't like it. This is like, I don't want, oh, do, do you guys know where the gym pad is? I can't find the, the, the bar pad. No, I don't want, and I'm not bringing my own people sell. I'm not bringing my own fucking bar pad to the gym. Like absolutely not. And, uh, this is like, no, I, this is me. I like, I'll do a leg press. I'll do a squat. I love front squats. Like I'm not doing a hip thrust. Single leg hip thrust, body weight hip thrust, absolutely. Program all day. Put those in the inner circle. Do those for myself. I think that's such a great exercise. Barbell hip thrust can suck it. Mic drop. 
Clips Nation with the pussy and the all of it. Just <laughs> Clips Nation. Let's get that thing. I'll share that on my story. Let's get this thing going. I'm going to hold you do that. When that one comes out, I'm going to be like, all right, Michael, this here you go. Th- that will be a clip ready to be on Instagram probably in June. And by June of 2023, <laughs> at the rate I'm going, I'm going to be dominating content. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> hope no one clips this and sends it back uh this was really good i feel like we you know bigs thank you so much for that question about maintaining client engagement info at personaltrainerpodcast.com actually no you know what dm us at personal trainer podcast <laughs> on instagram here's why because answering q a's and like dms like this was a great poignant question Maintaining online coaching client engagement. Some of the emails that have like four or five paragraphs aren't uh, quite Mm. as like podcast, not quite podcast material, um, even though we love you all and you're all wonderful. For some reason, people email, they feel like we need the entire backstory of their whole life from conception. It's like, just ask your fucking, like, engage. That's all we needed. Engage, cool. Boom. We don't need to know where you were born and how like just, and like, I appreciate it. And like, if we were friends, like I'd want to hear about it if we sit down for coffee, but like, we don't need to hear all of that, especially because like no one else on the podcast is going to want to hear that whole email. So DM, like Mike said, it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Mike is like, all right, that was a little harsh. Short. <laughs> no, 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 that was great. I was going to make a political joke. Um, <laughs> If you've Make listened to this point, I'm not, if you've listened to this point, <laughs> please, we have a gentleman's and and woman's agreement uh, to. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most awkward thing. <laughs> um, I'll actually give backstory. I stole this gentleman's agreement idea about subscribing to YouTube from Sam Parr and Sean Puri, who are two hosts called My First Million. It's like a business finance kind of interesting podcast. Um, And they do this thing where they, you know, hey, this is free content in in return, subscribe to our YouTube. Their audience is like 99% male. So they have a gentleman's agreement. And then they joke that like, we don't have any female listeners. As soon as I was saying gentlemen's agreement, I was like, we have a lot of female <laughs> listeners. And so- Gentlemen's a, and, and a woman. Woman's, <laughs> you know, it's a one take show. This is what one take content is all about. It's just letting it rip on the internet. And uh, so back to the agreement. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. Um, those subscriptions are going to help us grow our YouTube channel, reach more people. We're making weekly content just for you, answering questions. We don't charge for this. This is free. It's complimentary says Dave Tate. And uh, so, yes, we would greatly appreciate it in exchange for what we're giving you. If this is your second or more time listening to the podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Personal Trainer Podcast on YouTube. We greatly appreciate it. Anything else? Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.